All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the Wally and Mathot Show. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show. I'm Brent Wallace. He's Mark Mathot. And the Ottawa Senators will face a Vegas Golden Knights team on Thursday without Jack Eichel, as that trade finally got done. Uh, Beth, we're going to get right into this show. There's lots to talk about today. One of the things, we've got Pierre Lebrun coming on our show later, but we did the interview on Wednesday. So therefore, we don't have his reaction to the Jack Eichel trade. But I want to get yours because it seems like on paper, this perhaps isn't the biggest trade I was expecting. So I'll break it down here. The Buffalo Sabres trade Jack Eichel and a 2023 third round pick to the Vegas Golden Knights for Peyton Krebs, Alex Tuck, both first runners, by the way, and a first in 2022 and a third in 2023. Uh, The saga is over, at least for now, and we know where he's going. But what do you think of the return? Oh, well, I think it's a great trade for Vegas, right? You're getting an elite player, granted, not playing probably this year, mind you, if assuming he gets a surgery done pretty quickly, um, and also assuming that he gets the one that he was electing for, then perhaps we may see him in the postseason. I, I, I don't know, but yeah. I, I do like the trade for Vegas. I think it's a big one. The return, and it's no disrespect to Alex Tuck, of course. I think you're just, I think it's just reflective of, you know, where Eichel is at health-wise, the risk involved with picking him up. Um, but, I mean, I think in the end, 
assuming that Eichel recovers really well from this surgery, it's a home run for the Vegas Golden Knights. And I love it. You know, Wally, I think it's, it's a show of faith that they believe in the group, obviously, and that they're still in a win now mode and they're going for it. And with the group they have bringing in an elite center like Jack Eichel to, to go into that group that was pretty thin down the middle for the most part. Um, it's huge. So big, big, uh, big move for Las Vegas. We did see them depleted down the middle and that was a huge part of their playoff, I guess, failure against Colorado. Uh, my, it just seems though, you don't know if he's going to play this year. You don't know how he's going to react. So it's a big gamble. And I'm surprised there's nothing tied to that in the trade where everybody expected there to be. If he only plays 60 games, we're going to give you this, or if it's, there was no conditions. I think that's a big reason why the trade got done, but I'm shocked yeah. that there are no, there's no conditions for a guy um, that many people say this surgery has never been done in the NHL on an NHL player before. Yeah. And well, and, and in turn, because of that, as you just mentioned yourself there, Wally, yeah. the return is reflective of that current, you know, the, the terms and conditions and mind you, you just nailed it. There's no, there are no conditions. Yeah. So it's a bit of a risk, but I think that's what I appreciate so much with regards to Vegas. There's, you know, they had the, um, they had the, uh, the mind to just go ahead and do it. They're going for it. It's a bit of a risk. I honestly think, and I'm going to say this again, it's going to turn out really well for them. If Jack Eichel gets the surgery he wants and recovers from it, I mean, he'll be an absolute weapon on that team. Like just imagine Jack Eichel surrounded by those players. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare to play against that team. Okay. So there's a couple of points. One, what if they're not in the playoffs right now? They're struggling. Obviously they've got so many guys out of the lineup. No Mark Stone, yeah. no Max Pacioretty. And I think it's like eight guys. Um, William Carlson's another one. Like, what if you don't actually, by the time he's ready, you're so far out of it, it doesn't matter anymore. That's a, well, that's oh, an interesting thing. Right? Yeah, okay, but Wally, yes, but look at, like, they're still treading water for the most part right there, yeah. like hovering right around 500, and that's without all their star guys. And a bunch of them are going to be coming back relatively soon. I mean, like Stone, I'm assuming, will be back within the next week. Like you're gonna get, you're gonna get some of these guys. Your 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 troops are gonna be coming right back in your reinforcements, and then they're gonna get right back up there, I think, and they're gonna start winning some games and stringing them together. So, for now, you know, all this stress and pressures on guys like Chandler Stevenson who have had to play out of their minds to yeah. keep the team afloat until all these reinforcements get back in there. So, I do think that if so long as they're hovering right around that 500 mark, especially out there in that Pacific Division, I think they're gonna be okay. Uh, for those who don't know Alex Tuck, uh, he's a 2019 first-round pick, 18th overall, 255 career games, 61 goals, 139 points. He's a good player. Uh, Peyton Krebs, uh, obviously lots don't know about him in the NHL. That's a little unestablished. He's played 13 NHL games. He's got one assist. He's a 2019 yeah. first-round pick, 17th overall. Jack Eichel, in his career so far, he's hovering. He has the same number of points as Austin Matthews. He's played more games. Uh, I think he's got nine less points than Mitch Marner over the same span. And he's played maybe 10 more games. Yeah. Like Jack Eichel, elite. He's, he's in the 30-something scores since he's joined the league. Uh, 375 games, 139 goals, 355 points. I Like, I'm interested yeah. to see what he and can do. And that's in Buffalo. Surrounded. Yeah, like surrounded by the talent that Vegas can put on the ice. Exactly. I, yeah. I, and there's no question he's a franchise player. I just don't know how this is all going to play out. That's the, And that's the big question. Well, like, and, it, and, and, and yeah, like. And in closing, just to add to your point there, Wally, you don't know the player you're going to get, right? Like we talked about risk, like the risks are very real here. I mean, we don't know how he's going to recover from that surgery. Like that, that's, that's a very invasive surgery. The, the neck fuse fusion that he's going to get or whatever it was, yeah. anything in that area is really risky in a contact sport. And I don't believe it's ever been done in hockey, right? So 
I mean, that's the risk you're taking by picking him up. But I mean, the return's going to be incredible if he is healthy and rebounds pretty well. I should have known this before I asked the question, but is this the same as Peyton Manning? I don't great. That is a terrific question. I have no idea. This is such a, cause we, we talked about this a little bit um, prior. And, and I know that there were two different options. The team was electing for one. He wants the other. I think yeah. the team was looking for a basic fuse right in the neck. And he, and he's looking for something a little less invasive, but maybe a little more unlikely to get that same recovery. By the way, I'm I'm completely assuming here. I don't really know for sure, yeah, but yeah. I know that it's high risk. So we'll yeah, see. no, I, it's just because everybody said Peyton Manning's career was over when he went and had, and I thought it was yeah, no, I don't think it's he that. He just won a Super Bowl. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, but he was he wasn't the most mobile guy. To no, no, his career either. He right? wasn't a rusher. So, Here's my no. favorite part that I can't believe you haven't brought up yet, and so I had to go dig this up. Was the tax rate? So. Uh, if if we take his full salary for this year, which is $10 million, he's got uh, this year and then I think four more years left, he will save yeah. in tax savings from New York to Nevada yep. uh, over $4 million. It's crazy. It's crazy. I know. And and that was that like, like, so when I was negotiating my uh, negotiating, when I had to come up with a 10 team, no trade, uh, my agent asked me a couple questions like what what is what am I looking for what do I want to do and one of them was saving as much money as I can yeah. so I had New York all the New York teams on my uh, no, on my no team list so <laughs> like for him to go from New York like you just said a heavily taxed state to Las Vegas is incredible I mean again for a lot of players it's not necessarily just about the money of course but it is a big variable that affects the rest of your life right so if you can if you can pocket a bunch of money, he's going to do it. I'm, I'm so incredibly envious when I look at his deal and the amount that he's saving. It's crazy. So good for him. Uh, that uh, note, by the way, brought to you by uh, Gavin Wealth. Uh, they're on Twitter. I, they, they'll break down taxes for players and stuff. So uh, 860 yeah. grand a year he saves in taxes. Uh, by the way, uh, the Wyoming Thought Show brought to you by BEI, Bonisher Excavating Inc., helping to shape the Ottawa Valley. Go to BonisherExcavating.com. Uh, all right, Matt. So, uh the Vegas Golden Knights in Ottawa, by the way, uh, Vegas has owned the Sens uh, lifetime five and one Ottawa has struggled against them. Jonathan March is so uh, he's got eight points in his last six games with Vegas uh, against Ottawa. And then Robin Leonard, who's expected to get the starting goal, never lost to Ottawa in regulation in his lifetime. He's eight Oh and three. That's a five Oh two record with Vegas. But this seems to be like a little bit different feeling this time with the Vegas coming to town and no starts. Uh, I would suspect you're going to pick an Ottawa Senator victory. At least, at least this one, it seems like you have to. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have. Well, I mean, when you look at the injuries and you're trying to break this down, unless Ottawa just lays an egg tonight, which is entirely possible, unless that happens, I got them winning here, Wally. And, and I'm thinking three, one, that's going to be my score. Um, when you have major injuries, not, and, and, you know, we're talking about yeah. key players, cornerstone pieces of your lineup that are just out with, you know, with injury, of course. I mean, the odds are stacked against Vegas, in my opinion. And it'll just be, it comes down to Ottawa and their preparation. I know what it's like coming home after a long road trip. You almost feel a little lethargic for a few days. There's, you're a little jet lagged. Um, you're coming off some some pretty emotional games, certainly the last yeah. one against Minnesota. So it'll be interesting, interesting, excuse me, to see how Ottawa rebounds. And a lot of that just comes down to leadership and your coaching staff. Uh, reminder, go to sportsinteraction.com slash Wally Mathot and get in on all the action. They are Canada's odds maker. Sportsinteraction.com uh, is lots of fun. I, I, I just didn't tell you this. I picked Minnesota the other night to win. I think it was. 
I went and, and bet on Ottawa because then it was it was paid better. You bet on but, Ottawa? Yeah, yeah. And then so they got down two nothing, and I was like, ah, oh, there goes my ten bucks. And then they come back and you tie don't trust four me. four, and I'm in, and I'm like, this is gonna be it. And then, or actually, they got four three, I think. And then I was like, all right, yeah. And then I was like, ah, damn it, lost my ten dollars. Oh well, you know what? It was it was a, it was a, it was a great game to watch, right? Yeah. Like if you're watching that as a you're a fan. Uh, it was so entertaining and the, the highs and lows in that game was incredible. So um, I'm hoping that we can avoid that tonight. Uh, I just know with <laughs> Vegas, there's like, and you look at the numbers, they're not scoring right now. They're definitely not scoring on their power play. So this is a good opportunity for, for Ottawa to expose the team, right? Like you want to learn how to win at the, in the, at this level. And now that it's wide open, you're going to be facing different teams that a lot of these young players in Ottawa haven't faced yet. Wally, a team like like Vegas, for example, exposed the D. Right now, they're so thin up front. They're putting a ton of weight on a player like Alex Petrangelo, for example. Get pucks behind him, make him turn, run him down. You got the forwards and the, and the grid in Ottawa to do that. Good opportunity to have a solid game plan and execute it tonight. Wait, when you said expose the D, I thought you were talking about Vegas's game plan against Ottawa. Um, oh, that is well. That's a no. That's a no brainer. <laughs> so I was like, I hope that Ottawa never fixes this defensive problem because it's much more entertaining to watch, right? You just want, there's all kinds of goals. There's all kinds of action, but I know. Something it's fun has, to break it down. It something has to change. Does it not? Like I'm not talking about JBD and Eric Brandstrom. I, if those seven guys, they currently have in Ottawa. What do you do to make that a better defensive group? Now, because I'm telling you, well, okay. I listened to Troy Mann this yeah. week on, on TSN radio, and he said what we've all been saying, that Eric Brandstrom is not doing enough stuff to play at the NHL level, and that Jacob Bernard yeah. Docker is seeing now the competitiveness of playing at a different level, and he has to adjust to it, and he's not adjusting yeah. to it just yet. So he's not NHL ready. No. So, yep. like, those guys are not the answer. So with, with what they've no. got, what do they do to fix this defensive hold? Well, and that's something that I think a lot of people tend to forget, right? Like, and I talked about this a lot last year when toward the end of the season, into the summer about JBD. And I know I was mentioning how I don't, you know, like, and, I, and I've been saying this about a lot of these young prospects, my, I'm a little apprehensive into thinking that they're going to come in here and just change the back end right away. Like, like yeah. we all know it, Wally, it takes years to develop, especially on D like to mature and get to that comfort zone where like for me, for example, I didn't really come into my own until I was at 25, 26 um, so it does take time and you have to be patient. So your answer, assuming, so to answer your question, I should say, Wally, if you are asking me, well, we're not allowed to go pick a player is the answer internally. What would you do with the current you know, personnel that you have on the back end? I, I would just suggest, I mean, you're going to have to work with them. There's going to be a ton of meetings, but the biggest takeaway for me is just to be patient. You're not going to, I don't know that you can turn it around with the current group back there. They're so thin on their second and third pairings. And then when you were taking guys like Nick Holden out of the lineup, you know, for rest or because he's bumped or I don't know what's wrong with Nick Holden. And I don't know if that was a scratch, if he was actually bumped, uh, banged up a little bit. But to me, he's probably your best defensive player after Zub and Shabbat defensively, as far as not being a liability in his own end and being consistent. So what do you do? Well, Brandstrom, you nailed it right there. He's not not he's not exactly knocking the door down in Belleville. So you can't bring him up. We talk about JBD. He's still so young. Like you can't expect him to come up and turn it around either. I like the best case scenario, assuming you could do this is to go after another defenseman. And there are, there are some options around there. The problem is what are you willing to give up? And you obviously don't want to break up any of the uh, 
Um, the glue guys up front, the young players in the organization, they do have a ton of prospects. They've got some goaltender depth, but you're going to have to give up some stuff, right? So for me right now, if I had to correct anything back there, I would just sit them down and say, listen, you have, you guys have to start communicating way better. You know, there, there are, I'm seeing some matchups, some mismatches that are happening in the D zone where guys are, are jumping the gun a little too early. They're not playing with enough poise. They're not handling pucks enough. It's all the basic stuff. So I could go on and on and on about what they should be doing differently. But sometimes it just comes down to your personnel. And maybe you don't have enough real established NHL players back there to lead the ships. So I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing on the back end. After that first pairing, Wally, there are a lot of concerns. I don't know how you fix it with the current guys that you have. Okay, so uh, they've got different, obviously, people than they had last year. Basically, they've changed over three guys. Is this a coaching issue or is this still personnel? Can it? Can no, some of this stuff no, not it's get not fixed? a coaching. No, you <laughs> trust me. This is not a coaching issue. They've done, you know, they're doing as good a job as they can with the personnel they have. Look, look around the NHL, for example. Like if you're a fan and you're watching tonight's game or you're watching the Minnesota game or the Rangers game, look at the depth on the top, at least on the top two pairings on a lot of these teams. Sure. You can't compare. Like you, you just can't. Really, you can't like look at Vegas tonight. Look at their top four, for example. Even their top, even their six guys. I mean, their bottom pair is better than our second pair in Ottawa. So <laughs> this is just a personnel and depth thing. And again, it's hard. You can never match up development with the young guys that are coming in with your forwards. It's, that's almost impossible to do. So you're in a position now, if you're Ottawa, obviously you're not going to go after some rental guy that's up in, in, in the summer. You, you need to find a player that's currently under contract for the next couple of years. Maybe he's having a down year somewhere else that you think would fit in well with this group. I don't know where you find it. Obviously, if you're Ottawa, you can't be pushing the panic button, although I feel like you are there, but they can't just go out and grab whoever they can immediately. You got to take your time, defer to your scouting, make sure that you're picking a player that does have some serious upside that isn't over the hill and in his like mid thirties, go after a guy that still has some decent legs, maybe still under contract for the next two years, at least that you can trust on a sweetheart deal. Now, those are very hard to find. And I know it's easier said, we could sit here and debate it all we want over a podcast. It's much more difficult to actually go out there and do it. So I, it'll be interesting to see who they go after. It's clear though now, Wally, that, that there's a personnel issue and they have to get somebody to help out. Well, they had those opportunities and they ended up with Brady and Coburn and Michael yes. Delzato, right? There's and been Eric so many Brandon. misses. Yes, so, exactly. So they have go gone out. No, and you're right. You nailed it right there. Like those are those are players that should have panned out. Like, and I'm not necessarily surprised that some of those guys didn't pan out. I could have called that right from the get-go, but but like those were the attempts to okay. bring in some veteran leadership to lead forward, and they they were not good pickups. And it's as okay, simple so, as that. So here's Meth, you played 600 games, you just recently retired. How is it that you can tell this and the guys who are in charge of running National Hockey League teams can't? Well, I, I didn't mind the Coburn deal. Mind you, that one didn't work out well at all because I hadn't seen Braden play very much yeah. toward the end of my career. I was in the West in Dallas and I was hurt. So, but, but like, you know, with the good Branson deal, the Delzato deal, I was a little skeptical with that because for me, when I look at defensemen, when you're picking up, the first thing I think of is, can this guy move? Can he keep up? Yeah. A lot of players, a lot of coaches, a lot of scouts will look at it maybe a little differently sometimes and they'll look at a player and, they see a Delzato or a good Branson or players like that. And they, they, they still see the player that was in their prime. Right. But can they still keep up is the big question. And a lot of defensemen, unless you're an elite guy in the league, 
a lot of players on D especially start to lose a step, especially into their thirties, right? Like you're not going to be the same player you are. And that's where you have to do a good job assessing guys. Like you got to know who you're picking up. So I'll look at that and see if they're skating. Can they keep up with the play? Are they, because you're not going to expect them. Like you're not going to bring in some of those guys and expect them to lead any by any means, but your first thought is, can they keep up and provide 30 or, or excuse me, 20 minutes a night for this group. And if they can't, then you're going after the wrong guy. For me, if you're going to go after a player, you got to get a guy in his mid twenties who can still move, who still has some juice for the next six to seven years. That way, at least you're safe and you can mold him to your liking so we can adjust to your systems. But when you got a guy that can't even keep up, you're already behind the eight ball before you even started. Uh, they could use a guy that could play 30 minutes. I will point that out. So if they can find one of those guys, <laughs> yeah, they could use a couple, even they could better. Use a couple. but, but, but again, we, I, I'll leave it at this, this last note, you, you, it's easy to point the finger at the GM or at the coach or whatever, but I think we've all established now as a fan base, and as media people, the issue is a personnel issue. And until you address that, it's not going to get any better. Well, then that is a GM issue. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. What, so still with the blue line, uh, we are now nine games into the season. And not one of them has scored a goal. Now, I, I know when you play, yeah. no one is expecting you to light <clears> it up. But what they do expect is to have that kind of added bonus, if you will, that you need that yeah. from the back end. Right, you need they yeah. have 13 assists. Um, Zub has four assists, Shabbat and Victor Mete have three each to lead. Uh, how do they start to generate more offense from the back end? Because, right, because what it does is it pulls out those guys that got to cover the points, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and and I'll say this okay, uh, when it comes to getting goals, like, like assists are one thing because you can get yeah. secondary assists as defensemen, and that pads your stats. Like, there's a year I think I had like 20 something, a lot of them were just secondary assists. But in this case, with scoring, I mean, you're not really typically going to score a lot unless you're on the power play. Like, that's all special teams, right? When you're a defenseman and you're on that off weighing up in the offensive zone on a power play, you might get the odd one time or the odd one might go through. But I don't expect the group to, to, to produce a ton of even strength goals on the back. It just doesn't work that way. Unless you're a high-scoring team, um, which they aren't necessarily there yet. They're so front-loaded on that top line that I don't expect the defenseman to provide as much. But – you, you, that's still a glaring stat that sticks out, obviously. And how do you fix it? Well, you need to establish zone time. You need to be a better puck management. So once you get into that offensive zone and you establish a forecheck or a puck possession, I should say, then you got to start moving around. You got to work your cycle, wear down the defense, and then you start feeding pucks to the point and the odd shot must go, just has to get through. And that's where your defense have to get shots through, right? And I've seen some of the guys on the back end struggle a little with that. Easy for me to say, I wasn't exactly a sniper, so I can, you know, I got to be careful with myself when I'm being too critical of players being offensive, but it all just comes down to getting shots through and opportunities on the power play. And until you start putting, you know, really excelling on that PP, it's, it's really not very fair to just start attacking guys for not getting a lot of even strength points. Well, you've got a great picture of a clapper behind you, so I'm pretty sure you were really good at it. Yeah, well, I, I, that that for all I know could have been a dump in Wally, so it's hard <laughs> to say. But yeah, but but point taken. Um, this is game number ten for the Ottawa Senators tonight. So they are three, five, and one through nine games. Last year, after ten games, <clears throat> one, eight, and one. So yeah. uh, for all the complaining we've done about how things have looked in certain nights, a, a they're exciting to watch as hell. B, the power play oh, yeah. is, cl is clicking, right? It's at 13.6%. Um, yep. They have the same number of goals as they did after 10 games last year. Uh, they have 
they scored, uh, they allowed 48 goals last year after 10 games. So that's 4.8 goals a game this year. They're down around 30 after nine. So there are improvements. We are seeing a team play a little bit better. And then of course they're getting much better goaltending at, yep. do you think it's a noticeable difference compared to this time last year when they obviously had that ridiculous start of two, two, 12 and one. Yeah. I mean, night and day. Okay. Yeah. This is the best, the best example I can give you. And it's recent, the Minnesota game, right? When you watch the start of that game and you're and, and they score like two goals in the first four and a half minutes or whatever it was yeah. right then and there, if this was last year, you know, that like this team's probably going to fold and Minnesota's probably going to, you know, continue on the onslaught with another probably four, you know, or whatever it would have been. But Ottawa this year is a different team. They've grown a little bit as a group. They're a little more mature, a little more confident. A lot of that is also a respect thing. You know, when you're playing and you're a young guy in the league, sometimes you show a little too much respect to your opponents and you don't really play your game the way you would normally. We're starting to see a little bit of a change there, right? These guys are maturing as a group. They're, they're engaged more now. They're not showing the same kind of respect. You see guys like Nick Paul, Brady out there. They're running around. They're creating offense, Batherson, Norris. They all look good. And we saw it the other night in, in, um, uh, in Minnesota where that third period rolls around. They could have rolled over and died, but they didn't. They showed how resilient of a group they are. They claw back. They get back into the fight. The, the, the top guys lead the ship, which is what you want to see. Um, and so that, to me, is the big culture change in that group between now and last season, where you're seeing a lot of internal growth. Guys are getting together and really wanting to play for each other. Um, the only real anchor that we're seeing, uh, again, like we talked about, is maybe a little bit on D and the inconsistencies in net. But Gustafson played very well in that third, stopped all 19 or 20 shots, whatever that was. So um, I'm seeing a lot of fight in this group now that I didn't see last year. And that really gets me excited. You know, moving forward, it tells me that this group is heading in the right direction. It is an interesting direction uh, direction to keep going. And when we look at uh, the month of November, I think this will obviously be telling because they play so many games, oh, 15 games. It's a lot They've of got hockey. One Wally. extra day off in the entire month, I think it is. And so how they yeah. fare through this will be obviously interesting to watch and see how that plays out. Um, Just eliminate right. pregame skates and they'll be okay. <laughs> and then make sure they wear their track suits to the rink. Uh <laughs> all right we gotta take a we gotta take a break coming up after the break we got pierre lebrun tsn hockey insider of course uh senior writer for the uh athletic uh he will join us uh in the whitewater chat of course we chatted with him on wednesday the day before the jack eichel news so uh we won't have comments about him being traded but uh, lots of stuff to talk about with pierre lebrun uh so crack open uh farmer's daughter brought to you by whitewater beer go uh, shop oh. whitewater.ca and uh, enjoy the interview uh, with the Wally Mathot Show. I'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Wally Mathot Show. Time now for the chat quenched by Whitewater Brewery. Uh, stop by shopwhitewater.ca, get 15% off anything on uh, whitewater.ca. And that is, uh, of course, including Killaloo Sunrise or the always freshly quenching uh, farmer's daughter, as Meth likes to enjoy every once in a while. Uh, that is whitewaterbeer.ca. Uh, and then, uh, as remember, always brewed by friends for friends. Now time to welcome into our guest today. It is none other than Pierre Lebrun from The Athletic and the TSN. He's a graduate, by the way, of Carleton University here in Ottawa in journalism. I won't give the date, but it's on the screen. Uh, he worked for the Canadian <laughs> Press as a national hockey columnist, ESPN. He was an NHL writer. And then at TSN, uh, Hockey Night in Canada. And I know the score as well as Pierre. Uh, you've done everything. And now he's the senior NHL columnist for The Athletic and, of course, still on TSN. And of course, in 2005, won the Outstanding Sports Writing Award from Sport Canada. Pierre Lebrun, welcome to our little show. 
Remind me uh, to hire you to negotiate my next deal. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> you know that's as good as it gets. Uh, it's great to be on, guys, and uh, you know, congrats on the success of this podcast since launching it, launching it last year. I've been Thanks. enjoying it, and uh, finally get a call. I mean, how many people did you have to go through before you got my number down? Jeez, <laughs> uh, Louise, the, I couldn't get a hold of your people. I couldn't find. Uh, I couldn't oh, track yes. you down. I have a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Um, can we, listen, I we had talked to you originally about coming on well before anything had happened uh, in the last week or so. But I want to ask mm. you, let's start right away with everything that's gone on regarding the Chicago Blackhawks and you in particular uh, with the Gary Bettman press conference. There's a lot to delve into, and I don't want to spend the whole show on this. But can you take me through the Gary Bettman press conference? And I'll just let you talk about it, if you will. And that is from what you thought of it to where you had to intervene to get your colleague Rick Westhead to get a question. I think it was 47 minutes into the press conference. Uh, take me through that day. Yeah, well, let's, let's start with the, uh, you know, what so many people have reached out to me about. Uh, I, honestly, last thing I want to do at a news conference like that is, is become part of the story. Honestly, yep. I think you know me well enough, yep. but um, you know, Rick Westhead has dominated this story from the get-go, should have been getting more attention at the start of this story. Um, and, and I just, I just sat, I was getting a second question in part because I, I, I fumbled my first question and I, and I was really happy. I got a follow-up because it's really important to me. I wrote a column this week about Sheldon Kennedy and I believe he has so much to offer, uh, if the NHL would be willing to listen to him. And so I was getting in there for my second question and dawned on me that I was getting a follow-up when Rick had not had a question yet. The, you know, the guy who had completely led the way and continues to uh, on the uh, Chicago scandal story. And I, I, that was just me in the moment saying, and it's not because we worked together at TSN. I, I would have said it anyway. Uh, I just felt that, that I wanted to make sure that the league was going to ask him a question now Honestly, I, I think they were going to end up giving one to him and on a lot of people don't believe that, yeah. but I just wanted to make sure. So that was just sort of spur of the moment. I know it generated a lot of reaction. I, I don't want any, it's not about me. It's just about making sure that Rick got uh, what he deserved. And, and I credit the Winnipeg Jets who made sure to give Rick Westhead one of the first questions the following day uh, at the uh, shovel day off and Mark Chipman news conference. You know, as far as a news conference, it was tough. Um, you know, there's so many things that we could go through with that, uh, Brent. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of missteps here for the league. But, you know, I hope that Gary Bettman is, is true to his word when he talks about the fact that the league will seek outside help and, and, and wanting to get guidance in this space. Um you know, it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to to go out and do it. So, you know, to be continued, quite frankly. I mean, we really have to to see how this plays out, including a, and a very important Board of Governors meeting in uh, December 9th and 10th in Palm Beach, Florida, where the governors, the owners are going to meet. And I, I'm, I'm really curious about how they're going to address this and what they're willing to do. Uh, just to back to that question, when you told Gary, you hope that you know, Rick West, I got a question. I just want to point out as a guy that's done this job and asked questions in press conferences, uh, how big a step that was for you to actually do. And I know you don't want the attention, 
but I can imagine 47 minutes in, I don't know that they're going to give Rick West a question. And when it's on a Zoom and you can't be in the same room raising your hand and all that stuff, it becomes much more vital. So to everybody that's been in one of those situations, it's a thank you for just simply doing that and making that a point. And I, I just appreciate what you did. Yeah, I appreciate that. And again, I wasn't to show up the league. It was really more about Rick and what well, Rick deserved in that moment. But, but I do think that perhaps the league needs to get showed up, shown up a little bit more. And, and and we dance around this, but are we going to see real change from the league mm -hmm. after everything that's happened? And we keep paying it lip service and saying, oh, we hope for change. Well, is there going to be change, Pierre? I can't answer that. I mean, I, I certainly was a little more hopeful after hearing Mark Chipman on Tuesday. Uh, you know, that was a pretty emotional news conference. Um, you know, I, I, I know Mark Chipman a bit. Um, I think when he says something, he means it. But again, he, even though I know him, I still have to say again, uh, the words have to be met with action. So we'll have to circle back and see what Mark Chipman and the Jets did to to back up a very strong statement about wanting to 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 be in the middle of systemic change uh and that was that was great that mark chipman said that let's let's not sugarcoat it he's the first financial owner to come out and say that mm -hmm. but he still has to deliver and, and hopefully he'll get help and do that and we've seen other uh places as well like i think of the boston bruins all making sure they all watch the interview with kyle beach together mm -hmm. uh i think that's a huge step and but are we going to see perhaps more players who are active coming out. We like the Chicago Blackhawks. And I understand we saw Jonathan Taves have to issue a new statement on Wednesday to say, listen, I just want the best for Kyle beach basically. And I won't get into my relationship with Joel Quenville because we saw the backlash he had with Stan Bowman and with Al as well, mm -hmm. the assistant GM at the time, uh, not the assistant GM. Anyway, Al McIsaac, what are we going to see more guys step up and say, we are here for Kyle Beach. We're sorry that this happened and we'll do what we can to make it right. Yeah, I, I, it's, I don't know how many players will feel comfortable doing that. I sure hope so. I mean, you saw Robin, Robin Leonard after a brutal loss in Toronto, making time for that and, and being a leader mm -hmm. in that sphere. This comes back to, and by the way, I'm myself as a journalist trying to educate myself as well. And, and I go back to my conversation with Sheldon Kennedy on, on Monday and you know he's bringing me through his process this is what they do his respect group and, and they, they speak to corporations to, to all kinds of sports associations and one of the things he said to me is he thinks it's paramount that NHL players get this kind of education whether it's from his group or, or from uh, other experts so that they they have a better understanding of what this is and and how to uh, how to process it. And, 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 and I, I thought that was interesting. I had not even thought of that part of it yeah. until, until Sheldon Kennedy talked about that. And, and uh, I, I can tell you that I, I believe from my sources that the NHLPA, for example, um, with everything that's going on with their own turmoil, I know that in some of their internal meetings, I believe Sheldon Kennedy's name has come up and I suspect the PA will reach out to Sheldon Kennedy at some point. I know the Jets mentioned at their news conference that that they plan to reach out to him. I hope the NHL does. Um, you know, I think every team in the league uh, could spend some time with Sheldon Kennedy's group and, and learn from it. I, I think I would. I think a lot of us would. For sure. Um, and, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, 
it unfortunately doesn't undo what has happened to Kyle Beach at all, but we have to make the moment while it hurts right now and it mm-hmm. better hurt. It better continue to make us feel uncomfortable and yeah and horrified at what happened to Kyle Beach. But it also has to matter moving forward. And and you know, I hope all of us keep asking uncomfortable questions and keep want to get educated in this space. Matthew, I'm going to actually bring you in here as a player and former player yep. is you guys are ingrained to be not rock the boat. I don't want to say be quiet or complicit. And maybe that's part of the problem too, but you don't want to come out and be that guy that says something. Am I correct in that? And you're, there is a concern of maybe if you say something, it'll be taken the wrong way and out of context. And then it becomes a whole other story. Yeah, that's, that's so complicated. And there are so many different variables that there isn't one clear cut answer to that question. But, you know, I think, especially in hockey, we know what the culture's like, right? You play through injuries, you play through this and that, and you put your head down and you work. And uh, there is a little truth to that. And at the same time, people are, I think, just scared of, you know, losing their livelihoods, right? I think as as a player, as an athlete, you know how short your career window can potentially be depending on the player. And, um, it's hard to kind of put yourself out there. And Pierre made a really good point when he brought up Robin Leonard. I mean, Robin's been a huge advocate for any social issues, as we've known as of late, mental health being primarily the big one. But um, he's not shy to speak up, and, and I commend him for that. I think I think what I'd like to see more of, if we're going to get into that, is I don't expect the younger guys, although I encourage them to speak up, I would, I would encourage the leaders to really kind of get out of that comfort zone you know, the, like we talked about Jonathan Taves, for example, those are the guys that you, you would expect to kind of spearhead that ship forward and, and, and attack those issues that are happening if they do happen to witness something. And um, I think furthermore, as we get more and more educated, I think more players we're going to see are going to be coming forward and going to put the step down, their foot down. And I just I want to finish my thought with this. I think it's, you know, we, we look at the NHL and people like to vilify a lot of players and we like to blow things up sometimes and rightfully so in this scenario. But I will say this with regards to some of the racially driven stuff that has happened when, you know, the odd racial slur would slip up with a dumb player over the last few years. And then that gets talked about. And then, you know, the hazing was an issue years back as well. Like all these things have been changing for the better. And I can, I can tell you this, you know, being recently retired, the difference culturally in that locker room, as opposed to the way it was when I first got into the NHL, which really wasn't that long ago is significantly different. Mm-hmm. They've made vast improvements. And I, I feel like that needs to be said. I know I know a lot of people like to shit all over all the players when something bad happens and they just assume the worst, but things are progressively getting better. Now, they need to get much better and they are headed in that direction. This is another big story that's you know flooding the, the, the news lines. And I think this is a good learning experience for a lot of players as well that are coming up. And I'm not just talking about current NHL players. I'm talking about the junior players, the players that are coming in that are maybe a lot more impressionable, right? Those guys are going to learn as well for the better, and you're going to see another shift, and that's just going to continue to happen. So I, I can't stress this enough. I think the league is heading in the right direction. Sometimes it's a little slower than we'd like, but but I think the intentions are pure in this case, and we're seeing these press conferences. They're saying the right things. That's that's really what, all we could hope for at this point, and we learn from it. Uh, Pierre, we have seen some fallout from this, obviously, from people losing their jobs. Will we see a change at either the PA or the head of the NHL? I mean, I think I suspect there are governors and owners that that have and, and will continue to have conversations with the commissioner 
about the handling of this, but ultimately I have a hard time believing that it would cost Gary Bettman his job. I just yeah. think that whole thing yeah. at a different level. When it comes to Don Fear, that's a different conversation. Uh, there are a lot of players who are upset. Um, you know, uh, as as we tape this podcast, the PA still hasn't announced the final vote on the uh, executive board call from Monday, but it all signs point to it being a yes vote as far as wanting to open uh, an independent investigation on um, on the events around 2010, 2011, as far as what Don Fear did or didn't do, and the PA itself, Dr. Shaw and everything else, uh, on behalf of Kyle Beach, i.e. how they let him down. Um, so that investigation would will require outside an outside law firm to lead it, and it's probably going to take a couple months. So probably to answer the question on Don Fear, we're probably now a couple months away to know whether he's still in charge. Although there's certainly some people that think he should actually step aside right away while the investigation is happening. I don't know that that's going to happen. So certainly probably a more open-ended question on the PA side of things, I'd say right now. I'm going to just, Gary Bettman's gone through uh, two, three work stoppages now. He's got this uh, complete cover-up going on underneath him and all that. When is, what is it's going to take? I'm not calling for Gary Bettman's job. I don't, it's not my thing to do. I'm just curious of what it's going to take for there to be a different voice if that's the case. Is it just because he makes them lots of money that he gets to stay mm -hmm. and do what he's done? Well, I think from an ownership perspective, I got to pretend I'm an owner, so I, yeah. I, I got to re- I got to re-engineer my brain for a moment, but uh, you got to shift your Dallas Cowboy uh, hat to Jerry Jones. Yeah, yeah, I got to go. I got to go change my wardrobe. Um, I mean, listen, he uh, from a business perspective, which right now feels callous to even talk about. But yeah. you asked me the question, how do they view him? You know, he got them the salary cap. He, he you know, which limited, uh, which limited payrolls. Um, he, you know, got them the new US TV deals. Uh, you know, the league has expanded. The revenues before the pandemic had continued. All these things that owners were happy about. That's what mm -hmm. owners tell us. Yep. Um, and and those things are legitimate. I mean, he has done that for for owners. Um, yep. But certainly, the conversation at hand is 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 uh, is very social, and and society is it has changed and continues to change. Um, perhaps at a a pace that the NHL hasn't kept up with, I think. I think it's safe to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's where it's going to be interesting to see a how the league tries to make things right on that end, uh, as far as mirroring what's going on in the rest of society. Uh, but also whether or not how many owners put stock in that and at what to which degree, which is going to be a difficult thing to ascertain. Uh, I mean, we don't. Uh, you know, as, as you know, Wally, you don't really interview owners every day in this job. Yep. They're not accessible that much. Uh, Board of Governors is one of the few times of the year where we get to talk to owners. And so, um, you know, Mark Chipman was kind of forced into a news conference, but he certainly, I thought, came across pretty empathetic. Um, again, he's going to have to back all that up, but, but mm -hmm. how many more owners now are going to stick their neck out and, and come forward on this? That'll be, that'll be interesting to me. It, I mean, there's certainly a lot more to, to do with this story and we'll never solve it here in, in our podcast, but it's been an, uh, an eye-opening experience to say the least after everything that's gone on. I hope 
and pray that all this stuff leads to actual real legitimate change. And, and for Kyle Beach, there can never be enough to, to say we're sorry and to make mm-hmm. up for that. But I, I mean, I can't say enough to him to say, geez, I, I guess the word is thank you for coming forward to make this change happen. Like, I, I, what a courageous person that he's been throughout all this. Um, let's move away from that and try to liven this up a little bit or just a little bit, I guess, different topics. And that is going on around the league. Uh, but I do want to ask you, all the years you've covered the National Hockey League, what is your favorite story that you've done? You know, there might be some recency bias attached to this, but <laughs> but I'll probably still look back when my career is over and feel this way. But it's funny because of the conversation that we just had about societal change and so on. But I, I think that, uh, um, you know, having Luke Prokop, you know, trust me with his story last summer. Yeah, that was blew my mind, you know, like, why me? And that um, was just amazing to to write that story with him. And to see the reaction, you know, like people were ready for that story finally. And, uh, you know, it's funny after everything that we've lived the last couple of weeks where we just feel like sports in a terrible place. That was a moment where I felt the sport wasn't a great place because Luke Prokop is 19 years old and is comfortable coming out uh, as the first NHL gay player. And yeah. it just, that's the favorite story I've ever written. It's not even close. Uh, so here's what, I know that when you get into these stories and you get to have something that's being entrusted in you to do properly, it becomes part of you, right? Like you, that, that whole story, you do everything you can to protect it and do it well. And I'm curious of the feeling mm-hmm. you got when that first got published after it's a bit of a wait, cause you want to make sure you do that story justice. Correct. Yeah. I felt a lot of pressure to, I felt a lot of pressure to make sure that this was Luke's voice and this is the story he wanted told. Right. And, and not screw it up. And uh, meant a lot to me that him and his family were really happy with the story after it got published. Um, And, you know, and when you're putting that story together, there were a lot of different voices in that piece, you know, David Poyle uh, was talking about on behalf of the predators, uh, you know, I spoke with Brock McGillis and Bain Pettinger you know, the responsibility sort of as a gatekeeper in putting that story together is which voices do I feel should be in this piece and some of his junior teammates and, you know, uh, talking to his dad, that was really emotional. Um, but I was really happy with it. And, and really the reason it, it, I think it came off so well is because of Luke. I mean, he's 19 and was so confident in his, in his messaging and what he wanted to get off his chest. And, and, and that's what made the story was, was just how, how ready he was for it. And uh, yeah, that's brings a smile to my face. Think about that story. Yeah. It was well, really well done. Uh, Congrats to you and to Luke. Um, Where do you like to travel most now, Hmm. which is different than, crazy travel stories you probably had that eight hour layovers in airports, but where is it you like to end up the most? And probably I'm going to think it's either Boca Raton and the board, either one of the board of governors <laughs> meetings, it's either Pebble beach or Boca Raton. It's not Boca because I, I find Florida a bit boring, even though you welcome the warm weather after, uh, after a Canadian winter yeah. and the GM meetings in Boca are of course in mid March normally. But um, my number one NHL stop is Chicago. I always has been. Love Chicago. Uh, 
just just a vibrant city and uh you know i love that town san jose is a under the radar one uh did a lot of sharks playoff series over the years when they were always in the thick of it and uh and, and enjoyed being in san jose a little quieter yeah. as mark would know from from being a visitor there but uh but where do you guys great... stay pierre where do you stay in san jose I... typically well, I, I, if I share that now, I was like, is, is that safe? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I usually stay at that Marriott around the corner from Original Joe's. Uh, oh, okay. The old eatery yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, you guys. Now, the teams usually stay on Santana Row, right? Santana yes. Row. That's yeah, right. Yeah. The Cres- yeah. what's, the, what's the hotel called again there, Wally? Do you know the name? It's uh, not the Crescent, but yeah, it's just up from the mall. It's all I remember. Anyway, I it's a nice little yeah. strip. First of yeah, all, are, right, you, are you shocked that a writer said he, he, a media guy said that he stayed at a Marriott? I mean, is that <laughs> shocking to anyone? Or? No, that's for the points. In fact, I get mad when I have to stay at the team hotel. Cause I was like, damn, there's no points here. Cause they never stay at the Marriott Starwood properties. Yeah. That that's San Jose um, hotel uh, was interesting. Cause I did a train uh, trade deadline day there. And John Liu at Montreal is there at the same time Ottawa and plus San Jose is in town. John Liu at 5 a.m. is standing outside the arena while I'm on the second floor of that hotel on a balcony with room service coffee doing the same thing. And he's, <laughs> he's at the ring freezing. It's one of my favorite things ever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's. Uh... Yeah. The Valencia. Valencia. Hotel. Oh, the Valencia. That's right. Because I've gone there oh. for some uh, off day media availabilities. Because the team didn't go to the rink, especially during the playoffs. So you go to the hotel. Yeah, yeah. To, yeah it's really uh, dark. It's very dark. It's like a little courtyard, though. Club. Little courtyard, no. though, right? Yeah. 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 Downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's beautiful. Anyway. Yeah. And that's a great rink. I mean, so many of the rinks now are all sort of the same. Um, you know, they sound the same. They feel the same because they're so modern and, and no complaints. I mean, everyone's happy with the modern, you know, the modern comfort. But yeah. San Jose is one of the f- few rinks left where because of that tin roof, that's a bit low oh, and the so way loud. the sound comes off it. Oh my goodness. And yeah, the press box was forgotten. They forgot yeah. to build the press box. So it's kind of a, yeah, don't you guys sort of suspending. Aren't, aren't there a bunch of like posts impeding yeah. you up there sort of? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I've seen that's pictures. great. I love that ring. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I've never sat in the press box. I've only same with Dallas. I've only ever been ice level uh, for those two rinks. Anyway. Um, where's well your, now. Yeah, I never get up to the big spots. All the food is up in the press box. Um, and Chicago's is really good. But anyway, we'll move on. Uh, where is your least or I guess your worst travel experience? Oh, putting me on the spot. Well, I feel like Pierre won't tell you his his least favorite arena because he doesn't want to burn any bridges there. Yeah, so, no, no. Well, I like how you rephrased it to worst travel experience. I did, but I, I didn't say <laughs> arena. It could be like you did world championships. You've been to Russia. Well, been- my, my, yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll give Pierre a break for a second. My, I, I despise Winnipeg. Mm. The Fairmont <laughs> Hotel's a dump. The arena's a dump. Um, Winnipeg's oh. at the top of my list as far as dumps go. So I'll, I'll interject. Now you can go, Pierre. I actually don't mind Winnipeg. I, I have time. <laughs> no, seriously. And I would tell you if I if I didn't feel that way. I, no, I don't mind saying like I, I'm, I'm not too excited every time the Devils get to the cup final. I have to be honest. Oh, uh, good point. I forgot about New York. New I, I, I try to make sure I stay uh, uh, in the city instead if I can, but it makes for a longer travel day. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't mind Winnipeg at all, actually. But uh, I was a little harsh there. I, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, you're that. That's the clip that Wally's going to put out to advertise. Yeah. No, we're going to have all well, these people from Winnipeg. It's, the, hate it's us the, now. the click, the clickbait, the clickbait clip that yeah. we're going to use yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
So yeah. anyway, I mean, the yeah, Canadian cities, there's never a bad spot in Canada because it's the vibrancy of an NHL market True. in Canada and the fans. It's just, it's just awesome. Like, you yeah, just, it's a good point. Always feeling it. Um, but I got lots of favorites. I mean, uh, Tampa is a great setup there. The hotel's right near the rink and you're on the water and Pierre, have you ever bar. been in Tampa for that, for that, like that, that, what's it called? The, the pirate, that crazy drunken oh, pirate weekend yes, they have yeah. annually. Yes. In it's fact, wild. All-star weekend in Tampa a couple of years ago. I don't, I forget what year all-star it, was. In they Tampa. fell on the same dates. It was the same yeah. weekend. And there was a board of governors <laughs> meeting. And I remember distinctively trying to staking out the board of governors meeting while all these people in pirate uh, we're trying to put like like uh, necklaces around my neck as I'm waiting yeah. for NHL owners to walk oh, yeah. out the bill. It was the weirdest. They're scene. all hammering. Oh yeah. yeah, they're all like for people oh, yeah. that don't know what we're talking about. These people are like drunk, and they're all adults, and they're dressed as pirates, and they flood the city. It's the most bizarre but cool thing I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, we I also hid did in my a, room a lot that weekend. We did a training, uh, not a training, Stanley Cup final there, Pierre, and it uh, they had Comic Con on. I think throughout the playoffs. And so right by the convention center and everybody's <laughs> yes. dressed up as, I don't know, Darth Vader or whatever. It I, is. I got that in San Jose once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, uh, yeah, I, uh, I left my star was star Wars, star Wars outfit at home. So I felt uh, like I was, being uh, maybe next time Craig has a star Wars outfit. Uh, back to some hockey <laughs> questions. Cause you know, everything that's going on around the league. Why? Oh, I wish. Is Evander Kane going to be welcomed back to the San Jose Sharks? Yeah. Ooh, good question. Speaking of San Jose, um, and I was just talking to someone the other day about this. The answer right now, as far as I can tell, is undetermined. Um, you know, CBA-wise, there aren't that many options for the Sharks. Yeah. You know, they could maybe, you know – say to him, Hey, you know, we're not having you play with us, but obviously we got to pay you. So we're just sending you to, we're sending you home, but we're paying you. And then of course the P the NHLPA will get involved in that. Um, you know, it'll he be, he was their top scorer though. Pierre, well, this right, is last it. So, year, right? So, like, so, so, so really it's good. like, I think it's going to yeah, come like down. Internally. Yeah. Internally. Sorry. I was just going to ask you on that note. Cause I don't want to lose it. Would, do they, do you feel like they would like to terminate his deal if they could or are they like, do they, would they, do they not need a services, right? Like that's the, the tough question here. They can't terminate his deal as per the land. No, no, I know right now. But, I know they can't, but I'm right. saying if they could, is that their, their mindset? Like right now, as far as like, are they just sick of Evander Kane, you think, or you know what I mean? I know it's a no, tough no, no, question. And I'm not dodging it at all. I think the answer literally is undetermined. I think that the Sharks uh, organization are, is still working its way through that process, Mark. And, and, um, you know, in this moment, I, I I would venture the guess that a lot of players in that room don't want him back. But I also think if you look at Doug Wilson's track record as a GM, um, he he believes in in, in in second chances. He believes in players. He has a track record of, of wanting to look at the human side. So that's why all these different things are kind of interconnected. But yeah. I also think Doug Wilson's a guy who really respects the pulse of his room. So you kind of have, I think, sort of counterintuitive elements there, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. If you ask me right now, if we can skip past this season and just go to the off season, I think the betting money is on the Sharks buying him out. Um, but how they handle his post-suspension and rest of season 
you know, remains to be seen at this point. Hmm. Uh, okay, here's another one, and this is near and dear to your heart, and that is Claude Giroux from the same hometown of Hearst. Uh, mm -hmm. Gets lots of attention in Ottawa. He's now actually tied with Drake Batherson, 10 points. He's off to a good start. Do you ever see that this happening where he becomes an Ottawa senator? Because he spends his off-seasons, uh, part of his off-seasons <laughs> in he, Ottawa? He hangs out with Matt in the same neighborhood, yeah. 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 Um, well, here's what I can tell you. I reported this last month. Uh, it kind of went under the radar. But but interestingly, uh, you know, he's the captain of the Flyers. It's the only team he's ever played for. He's a UFA at the end of the year. He, he had uh, him and his agent, Pat Brisson, mutually agreed with Flyers management in the offseason that uh, that they would not discuss an extension at this point, that they would let the year mm. play out and and circle back and address his future after the year. Which is, you know, I mean, if that was in a Canadian market with a, the captain of a Canadian team, oh, I think they'd be getting a little no more kidding. press. Yeah, um, it doesn't necessarily mean he's leaving, but it is still of interest that the captain of the team said, you know what, let's just uh, let's talk after the year. And I think it's yeah. just Claude probably, and I haven't talked to Claude about this, but it's probably just him wanting to see where the Flyers are at in their development. And to be fair, probably Chuck Fletcher, the GM of Flyers, saying. Let's see what kind of year Claude has at his age. Oh, um, so mutual from that perspective. But, um, you know, I don't want to start predicting where Giroux would end up if he actually decided to leave, and he may not. But if he does leave, but but I would, knowing him and, the you know, like I do at a certain level, the ability to win in a pretty short time frame would affect his decision, I think. Yeah. So yeah, he wants a winner. He wants an opportunity and not just be a mentor for a bunch of young players. Right? That's my guess. big distinction there. Yeah. 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 Fair point. Yeah. Not speaking for him despite the no, same. No, 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 no. I know. Don't worry. We're going <laughs> to care. Don't worry. We're going to cut that. We're going to cut the clips up accordingly here. And yeah. we're really going to send the point and you'll across. be like, yes, he wants to get out of Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, is there any big surprise in the national hockey league this season for you on the ice? Yeah. Buffalo for sure. Yeah. Now, okay, um, are they winning in know. spite of Jack Eichel not being there? No, I think, you know, one of the great things about our, our sport is, is never underestimate what a group of guys can do when they've been told that they're going to be garbage. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. one of the oldest. Agreed motivations in hockey and I guess other sports too, but I, I, I see it happening more often in hockey and I don't know if it's sustainable. I, I suspect it's not, but there's no question a that Don Granato, they love playing for him, but there's, there's gotta be this, this sense of literally everyone picked them to finish 32nd and in an embarrassing fashion. Yep. And, and, you know, everything's a tire fire there. And and they're they're playing with a chip on the shoulder. I mean, it's it's a very sort of old school emotion uh, as far as the way they're playing right now. Again, I don't think it's sustainable, but I don't know how they're not the biggest surprise in the league so far. Yeah, I agree. They're they're playing free, right? Like like when the expectation level is so low, you're almost kind of. I, I agree. They're almost you're almost insulted, and at the same time, playing stress free with house money, right? It's like mm -hmm. kind of like how Ottawa finished the season last year where they win a whole bunch of games. And, you know, some people kind of think, well, this is a great team all of a sudden, but really right. there's a significant difference between playing with a high expectation level, you know, for the media and fans and being written off before the season even starts. So I think 
I agree that, you know, there are a lot of different variables that are affecting their mindset. It's interesting you said that, Mark, because I was curious from, from your time in the league, how players deal with that, because, you know, one of the things you'll often hear from a player is that they, they you know, that's, that's white noise that's outside the room. But of course, I think it's a complete opposite. I think expectations absolutely impact players. Yeah, it is. It does. Especially when you embrace them publicly. And, yep. and the Senators, it's funny you say that before the season started. I mean, well, I think we all feel the same where this is headed eventually, but mm-hmm. it's, it's the timeline where we're no one's sure about, you know, how long it's <laughs> going to take. And, yeah. and when the Senators had their great run in the second half last year, I was thinking just how much of this is the development of this core, but how much of it is literally no pressure. And I'm not taking anything away, but. No, no, no. But it's, you've been in that spot as a player yeah. where, you know, yeah. we're just it's, going out pl- trying to ruin the other team's night, basically. Exactly. It plays, it plays a huge role because your younger guys aren't going to be gripping their sticks extra tight. The mm-hmm. old guys are playing a little a little loose, but it's a mindset thing and it's a confidence thing. And when you don't have all that pressure on you to win all these games every other night, it's a different animal. So, I mean, we don't have to delve mm-hmm. into that too deep. But, yeah, it's I think that big mm-hmm. thing, especially, especially in hockey, right? There's so much parity across the NHL that you don't have any real clear-cut super teams, at least you don't right now, I don't really think, mm-hmm. that it's it's that it's that easy. It's just a flip of a switch, and it's a mindset where you go into it just free, and you're, like I said earlier, you're playing with house money, you're not really worried about expectations, and you just happen to win any, every other night. So well, uh, I think that's – and I agree with you with regards to the timeline. Mm-hmm. People kind of get carried away and think, well, they're ready to win now. Right. I think we still have to be patient. Like you're still going to get some serious growing pains with this group until they figure out a couple more issues in that in that locker room. Yeah, and and you know I think that I think a lot of people are tired of hearing about parity because we've talked about it so much in the cap era. Yeah, my favorite true. expression is you know get back to me in January and look at the NHL standings and they will look like a crushed beer can because the difference between the top <laughs> and the bottom is so little. And by the way, it's why so many, you know, there's a lot of people inside the game, like governors and GMs that think that, you know, there should be a play-in series. Now that there's 32 teams, there should be more teams with a crack at it. But, you know, I think when Montreal as the 18th overall team made the cup final last year, the year before Dallas in the bubble made it to the cup final. I'm always amazed. And maybe it's because people people want to have more concrete reasons for why these things are happening. And, and there's, I think, you know, I think so many people are, are delighted that the abs are terrible so far this year because they <laughs> want to be able to discredit the, the run to the final last year. Yeah. But the reality is, and when I talk to GMs about this, this comes up a lot, the difference between team number 20 and team number 10 at the very least in the NHL is nothing. It's almost nothing. Couldn't agree Basically more. at a different time of year, depending on your injuries and everything else, it's like almost nothing. And yep. so it's not, it's not a flu when Dallas and Montreal do those things. And, and a ton of other examples, the Kings were a number eight seed when they won the cup in 2012, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the devil's going to the cup final in, in, uh, in, in 2012 as well. It's actually a reflection of what, it, what the competitive, the competitive balance really is in, in the NHL. It, it, it's not a fluke. It's not, this shouldn't be happening. It's actually going to happen all the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Are you hearing any rumors on Ottawa trying to fix their dreaded blue line? I, I saw a few breakdowns uh, last night in uh, in Minnesota, <laughs> I have to admit. I saw a few. Um, but what a game. By the way, I'll answer your question, but <laughs> there's so much fun to watch. 
There's 18 different game scripts within a game last night in that <laughs> yeah. game in Minnesota. No kidding. Um, and all I kept thinking about the whole night is, does DJ Smith go back to Gustafson or does he come back with Murray? Like it's so yeah. fascinating oh. already what's happening in goal, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, I've not heard a whole lot about, you know, Ottawa uh, hitting the market for a defenseman. Obviously, they went out and got Gabriel up front. Um I don't know that there's an easy fixer guys like, like, you know, the off season is when you try to address that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not the same on the trade deadline that I don't see Ottawa doing something, but you know, it's not just Ottawa. Every team will tell you this now, you know, Montreal's not going to trade their way out of their issues right now. No. You, 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 you make your roster in the off season now in the cap era and you only really tweak it during the season. It's hard to make tangible changes. Uh, and anything about goaltending with Ottawa because Matt Murray right. continues to be a question mark in goal, to put it mildly. And we think that perhaps Philip Gustafson deserves to be the number one guy, but I don't think they can make that move. Well, I don't know. Look, I, I, I got the sense when this season started that from Pierre Dorio and, and, and DJ Smith down that the organization was giving this vibe that it was more of a meritocracy this year and that, and that whoever was going to help them win would be the guy. Mm. That's the sense I got from the outside looking in now, you know, it, the answer to that question may not just be who helps the senators win now as, as much as you also have to look at the development of Gustafson and say, is this the right thing for him right now at his age? That's important too. I mean, I mean, you don't want to hamper his development by giving him too much too quickly, unless, of course, you think he's ready. Mm. And 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 he looks pretty ready to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, let's see. You know, if you give this guy ten straight starts, uh, what's that like in terms of workload and 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 how he responds? You know, I don't know. It's an interesting one. I have to say, I actually thought Matt Murray. And his first couple of starts look good to me. Yeah. And, and I'd like to see a few more chances there before you start to think that he's not the guy, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it just, it just gets, it gets complicated, right? Because you've got a team that, you know, financially sometimes struggles to be up to par. And, and obviously they're really tight with their deals that they have. And Matt Murray's locked in with some serious money. Mm -hmm. So if things don't really work out there, like, how do you, how do you approach that? If you're the Ottawa senators in the off season, like I don't see them buying them out but you have a right. player making five plus million dollars that potentially might be your backup. If, if, if this continues, I mean, and of course we're all hoping that he can turn it around. So I think that's essentially the question is how does, how did the Ottawa senators handle this? I mean, at some point you got to decide, okay, well, we need a clear cut. Number one, we want to take winning seriously. I still think they're kind of in a rebuild this year. Although Pierre said, otherwise let's face it. They are. How do you handle Matt Murray in the summertime? If by the end of the year, it's like, okay, enough like we can't do this anymore it's just too inconsistent yeah. that's a contract that's pretty hard to move uh i always stop short of saying a contract's never movable after the leafs once moved david clarkson's contract so i mean there there are ways to get things yeah true there, there are ways <laughs> to move what look like immovable contracts especially for example let's say if, if that's what Otto wants to do after this year we're looking way far ahead here but yeah you know maybe there's a bit of an anchor contract at a different position where the senators are like you know what I know that guy's struggled on the blue line for that team, but let's try and see if we can give him a change. Of Fair enough. Back. What I'm saying is you can, there are bad contract for bad contract trades all the time. Um, so that would be a possibility. I don't think a buyout is to your point, Mark. Uh, that's not traditionally the, the Senator's way.
No, that's, um, yeah, that's what I was getting at. That's uh, But I guess you're right, though. There is no real comfortable situation to put people's minds at ease. Worst case, mm-hmm. or sorry, best case scenario by the sounds of this is that they bring in another bad deal, right? Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. um, you know, best case scenario is my memory gets going here. <laughs> that would be that's the best true. case scenario. <laughs> and I'm with you in that. And I hope he does. I really do. I just, yeah. you know, we've seen him play well, then he gets hurt or he struggles a little bit and it's just rinse and repeat every right. time. And you start to question a lot of stuff when that happens. Right. But that's, that's a whole different yeah. topic. And listen, it, it, it really hurt. It really hurt Ottawa. As you guys know, early last year in the Canadian bubble or the Canadian uh, division, because as much as the scores were lopsided in those Vancouver games and Edmonton games early in that season for the Senators. You know, if you broke down the numbers, it really came down to just not getting a save more than anything else. I mean, they weren't getting outplayed five on five in terms of scoring chances. The goaltending was so bad that it completely knocked them out before they even had a chance to level themselves. So it's not a nothing conversation because of the recency here. I mean, it is important that Ottawa figures this out. Yeah. A couple of questions before we let you go up here. One is, uh, what's your worst travel day that you've ever had? Oh, my goodness. And have you ever been locked out of your room naked? <laughs> no, but <laughs> but uh, when I got to the Sochi Olympics in 2014, and I we had already, because those of us who, who go there just to cover the NHL tournament, we arrived, we're among the, 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 the last arriving journalists. And we had already heard, you know, we had already seen tweets and stories from other journalists from around the world about how their door handle fell off from the media, you know, the, the, the apartment building that was built for the media village and all these stories, the water didn't work. Well, I, <laughs> I, it was after 24 hours of traveling and three flights when I got to uh, Sochi and uh, I opened and their nice fellow at the desk gave me my key and I went up to my room and I opened the door and it was, uh, uh, this big naked German guy sleeping on my bed. So, uh, you know, <laughs> very politely after I startled him said, well, clearly we're not sharing a room, buddy. So I'll go back down and get a different key. So uh, it was pretty That's funny awesome. and yet not shocking given all the stories I'd heard, but I did get my own room. The only thing is my door would not lock. And often I couldn't close the door. So there are many nights during the Sochi Olympics where I simply slept with my door open in my door <laughs> Uh, nice. so that was all fun. Although I love, I love going to Russia. I've been a bunch of times and, uh, I love the people there and I actually, uh, enjoy those experiences, but travel wise, when I came back from those Olympics, we were supposed to be rooted through Kiev, uh, Ukraine. And, uh, we got rerouted because I don't know if you guys remember, but just as the Olympics ended is when, uh, the is when the conflict started between, uh, between Russia and, and yeah, with Russia. Yeah. That was intense. Kiev airport. Uh, fireworks there so yeah i was happy to get rerouted in that very moment so that was nice. a bit scary yeah yeah that's never a good time uh, and i i i'm with you with russia totally different world and it's just it's a fun experience because it's just something you just don't ever see every day that's why i appreciate it um last question what's the first national story you ever broke Oof. i don't know about first but certainly the most memorable one for me was during the 0405 lockout uh i got a call in the middle of the night uh, i don't know if you guys remember all this but the season had already been canceled but um there was stuff going on behind the scenes even though the season couldn't be saved and uh it must have been in february or so i got a call in the middle of the night from a source basically saying 
you know, the players have accepted the salary cap. And I just remember I was working at the Canadian press and, and calling the desk at three o'clock in the morning from my hotel room in New York city. Cause I was there for a board of governors meeting and, uh, and putting out the, the urgent and the alert on the CP wire NHLPA accept salary cap. So, you know, that was a big story and nice big story because, you know, it's not what the players wanted and, and, and but the season was canceled. There's, there's so many hurt feelings in that whole lockout and, and canceled season. And mm-hmm. I don't think there were any winners, but it was a big moment in time because obviously there were some players who thought they would never accept that. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but felt they needed to, to get the ball moving to, to play hockey again. Here's my part of that story. So that night they are meeting at the Sheraton Times Square in New York. And I spent, I think it was 57 days in New York covering this lockout. Basically we stood on a street corner for hours for nothing. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting in the lobby uh, because we know that they're in their meeting. Ted Saskin and Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and everybody else. Mike, it's like six in the morning. So you got to call late, eh? So like three, four in the morning. I think it was like five-ish or so. My cameraman goes, I got to go. I got to go to the washroom. Number two. Out walks Ted Saskin, Bill Daly, Gary. You and the details. Lockout's (laughs) over. We completely miss after all that time because my cameraman's taking the dump. We don't have any of the footage. Yeah, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That was a good one. Yeah. Hopefully never, no more lockouts. That's for sure. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, what a, what a, what a, what a good way to end a podcast. Hey, while you're just talking about your cameraman taking a big dump. <laughs> I'm not going to end it there. I'm going to end it on a, <laughs> on a high. That you're going to a... end, end it with a food question listen, following up the dump. Listen, last time you talked about being hung over at the end of our podcast. So uh, Pierre, True. let me put, will the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl this year? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I, I, I like ever saying yes to that because I feel like I'm going to jinx them. Uh, and I still think they have a lot to prove. I got, I'm a realistic Cowboys fan. There's two different types of fans. And for those listening who don't know this, I, I mean, I literally am ridiculously crazy in love with this team. I always have been. My entire family <laughs> schedule and lives revolve around what time the Cowboys play every weekend. <laughs> um, I, I think they're going to make a deep run. Uh, I still have a hard time, I guess, believing that an NFC, if you, if they have a playoff game with either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, that, that they can overcome that. And of course, Aaron Rodgers has beaten the Cowboys twice in the playoff game. So it's not like I'm just pulling that out of thin air. But I tell you what, I mean, winning that game last Sunday night without Dak Prescott with Coop Rush as their quarterback in Minnesota was was pretty exciting. They're, uh, they're doing some pretty exciting things right now. I didn't think they were going to do it. So what happens if somebody texts you in the middle of a game? Um, I usually wait till commercial to, uh, <laughs> to answer them. I'm not, you know, I guess one of my things is I, I, there are way more people that like texting me if the Cowboys are getting spanked than when they're winning because For there's sure. so many Cowboy haters out there and my, my phone will explode on the nights. And they've had so many embarrassing games over the last 25 years. When things go off the rails, uh, I'll get 30 to 40 text messages from, <laughs> from people either it. in my social life or people in the hockey world. It's crazy. When they win, like they're winning this year, it's yeah. been a little quieter. I'm not hearing from a lot of people, actually. No, it's pretty good. Because I, I, Ian Mendez, a big fan of our show, is uh, a huge Cowboy fan. And uh, so I sent him a text one day trying to set up something. And he's like, all caps, like, dude, the football, or no, the Cowboys are playing. And I'm like, 
<laughs> you can at least answer the text. Anyway, so that's why I was curious if you were in the same anger management class as Ian Mendez over the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I'll ignore most of what's happening on my phone during the Cowboys game, except that I got to peek over to make sure it's not work. I mean, that's basically the way I, and I look over, I'm like, nope, not NHL. Okay. I'm going to answer that in three hours. Uh, by the way, next time you come on, if somebody calls, it's on speakerphone. Perfect. We'd appreciate that. <laughs> uh, it Pierre, it could just be my wife reminding me to bring the kids to hockey or something. Oh, we'll, you know? we'll take that too. Uh, we appreciate your time, sir. It's always good to catch up. Uh, we'll hope to see you soon. Of course, as always, we love your work in the athletic and see you all the time on the big television with the TSN. So uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, there goes Pierre Lebrun from the athletic and TSN. Uh, we'll be right back with the Wyoming Thought Show after this. Welcome back to the Wall I'm a Thought Show. And again, our thanks to Pierre Lebrun for stopping by and uh, giving us all kinds of information. Craig, nice to see you again, as always. Uh, is hey. that your goalie mask? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, you may notice a different uh, background here. Not, not all that interesting walls and stairs and stuff. So I'm trying to spice it up. I think I might put a picture here. I just uh, haven't decided which, which one. So I got a few. I feel like yes. you're in a safe house. Yeah, yeah. Keeping my identity safe. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as I avoid, yeah, avoid it. Anyways, uh, yeah. So this was this was oh. from uh, the old the old back back in the day there, high school days. I played a little high school hockey, played some and around the Ottawa area, and uh, that's my yeah, that's my old goalie nice. there. It's rust. It's all rusted. I don't think you could wear it anymore. So more decorative. So it fits oh. fits perfectly right to right to my left here. The Hall of Fame will be calling. Um, speaking of <laughs> yeah. old stuff, uh, I just something I meant to bring up with Pierre LeBron in one of the bios I read on him, it talked about him, how he covered the 05, 0405 lockout. And that, uh, it was written like LeBron covered it or was using his Blackberry handheld wireless device to send texts while talking on his cell phone. And I was like, well, first of all, I should have been able to do both of those things. But anyway, uh, I laugh when I think back to the technology and how it changed that lockout in particular, because guys were texting from the meeting rooms to people and that's how they were getting news coming out uh, from those meetings with the NHL and the NHLPA. So uh, the BlackBerry, I think revolutionized how we almost do our job and it became no longer a 6 PM show and an 11 PM show or whatever. It became 24 hours kind of thing based around somewhat of that technology. That's mm. when it all went downhill, right? When we all had to start working 24 <laughs> yeah. hours a day. Yeah. Phones. <laughs> Matt, did you ever have a BlackBerry? Yeah, I did uh, briefly, okay. but I had it for a couple of years. I think the years that I had my BlackBerry would have been when I was in the American League and it had the little, wasn't just the BlackBerry, the result, did the BlackBerry have the little stick? Oh, little, I, that was a Palm Pilot or whatever, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a Palm as well. And then yeah. uh, eventually, <laughs> you were once I up. got to the NHL, it was around that 20, was it 08, 09? I forget when I got my first iPhone, but yeah, I mean, it was a game changer. Yeah, those Palm Pilots were pretty hilarious. It's funny to see, yeah. like, you, like to, to, to what's in your phone now, like, all the devices you would have had to carry 10 years ago to, like... Yeah, oh, yeah. It's wild. Pretty funny. Uh, do you guys want a good little iPhone story that I got from the... Yeah. My first draft way back in 2010. Um, 
uh, one of the cool, one of my favorite parts about the draft is we all, uh, uh, the day, the night before the draft, you guys all, you all for dinner, it's scouts and management and everybody. And uh, one cool thing is all the scouts never see each other. So they all sit together, which is cool. So I was sitting next to Brian Murray, which is unreal. <laughs> First draft, I'm sitting next to the GM and, he, and he's cool. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked to Great him. Great storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. He, what I love about him is he'll ask your opinion. He would legit ask, like, I remember him asking me, I think it was that, that draft. He's like, should we sign Sergey Gonchar? I was like, fuck yeah, we should sign Sergey Gonchar. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that i was like anyway that happened afterwards but anyway so he leaves he takes a phone call and comes back and he's like hey st louis is offering us runblad for a pick and everybody started debating it and they were trying to figure out if runblad had signed his entry-level contract yet and nobody knew so i pulled out my uh, it would have been like an iphone 3gs or something back in 2010 and just looked up cap friendly i was like yeah yeah he just signed it uh, over the summer or whatever and everybody's like how did you do that and it was like game changing for them that I could look up contracts and stuff on the fly. They're used to dealing with the, the systems on computers and things like that. So uh, every, the next once we got back from the draft, they all ordered iPhone and I became uh, tech support for the hockey <laughs> department for a while while they, learned, while they learned the ins and outs of iOS. It was a lot of fun. Wow. But anyways, yes. Yeah, so that's how I contributed to the David Runblad trade that eventually, I guess, brought in Cal Turris. But other than that, it wasn't so great for David Runblad. Yeah, no. Well, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Did everybody, was everybody able to work their phones? No, no, not really. The funny, like my favorite was Tim Murray. Like he was the least like tech savvy at it. And so I would regularly get left phone messages where like, he couldn't like, he's like, Craig, this thing won't ring. And I was like, you got to flip. There's a button on the side. You just have it on vibrate. He's like, okay, that's kind of So I used to get, I used to get those all the time. I think it was partly my glasses too. Like, I think that's something where it looks like I just, I know tech, right? I don't know. iPhones. I, I just got it too. So anyway, we all figured it out together. Um, but that was a lot of fun. That's gold. Good stuff. Draft days. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, and for you uh, out there with your phones, looking at it now, trying to figure out uh, how the technology is advanced and want to use it, we got a little trivia for you today. So based off of our Pierre LeBrun interview, which was great, by the way, fellas, uh, we were talking a little Hearst, Ontario. So uh, let's bring it all back. So we got a new uh, sponsor for this one. Mulligan's Golf Bar is giving us four two-hour gift certificates, including club rentals. So that's for you and three friends or for you four times, if you want to be lonely about it, uh, to their <laughs> golf simulator. We it's call awesome, that the math man. special. Yeah. They got food. <laughs> they got a bar. Uh, so go in there, hit some golf balls. Now that it's cold outside. Uh, you can yeah, head on over to their website, check it out, or you can get this answer. Correct. Uh, and today's question is who did Claude Giroux replace as captain in Philadelphia way back in 2013. If you know the answer to that head on over to Twitter, use the hashtag Wally Mathon, be sure to tag at mulligans ottawa on twitter uh to enter and we're going to let you know who won that on our next show which is coming up on monday uh by the way like and subscribe to our youtube channel uh, we will be fortunate to all come back here on monday all freshly shaven and quaffed i gotta uh, shave uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking of doing the, no, the november but everybody every time i have a little bit of scruff people get mad so i i'm probably not going to do it should i you Matthew, should, you should playoff beards this year regardless if we're in it or regardless who's in it just grow it from the start from the first day to the last day and see where it gets to fair enough why not i'm in um that's our show for this thursday we will see you on monday have a great weekend everybody
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.